You're listening to Culture Camp. Tune in each week to hear from an amazing lineup of athletes, CEOs, founders, and more who have created winning cultures in their organization. Each will share the secrets to creating a culture in your business that will lead you to thrive. Are you ready? Here's your host, Jason Haugen. All right, welcome back to another episode of Culture Camp. I got one of my favorite guests. Finally, it's about time. This has been a long time coming, man. I'm super, super excited for this one, not only because I've been a big fan. I'm a big fan of what you've done, hence my t-shirt over here, um, Mr. Grant Wins. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you having me on the show, dude. Love being on a pod, and it's about time we finally connected. I know. Dude, we've like chatted so much. I've connected you with people. You've connected me with people. I've met like one of your best friends here in Utah, yeah. hung out with them. Um, he's got a sick car, by the way. It's freaking insane. Yeah. But dude. just, dude, you're an unbelievable human being working on Thank amazing you. things. You founded and built built basics clothing which is probably my favorite clothing brand in the world like literally like i am built shirt bit, built pants right now i got hey, everything like it's you know too, dude, it fits Let's so go. well you know what because i've like spoken in built shirts before yeah i've hung out casually and built like it's, it's so versatile and they last forever like i've had them i've had some shirts that are like five years old and they're they're they, they're fine or four years old way way long time ago they're they're like getting a little bit now i'm like maybe i should 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 get new ones but they just still last i love them to death yeah dude that was like yeah but i appreciate that introduction and built was the sixth company that i had started really yeah now i'm on to eight so it's like the process of like launching a brand into the united states into you know and taking globally is just something that i love but I'm like a deep problem solver as an entrepreneur. And so at the time in 2016, the problem was that it was impossible to find like a men's shirt that basically didn't turn into garbage in the wash. Right. And you could really expand that out to just men's basics. Like it was hard to find men's basics in 2016 that weren't overpriced and had like quality that could deliver, you know, which is like you wash it 10 times, it doesn't turn into garbage. Right. And at that time, honestly, like most of the stuff that was being sold at like department stores or even with other D2C clothing brands was just absolutely like garbage. Right. It just wasn't that high quality. And so that's like an easy technical problem to solve. And I had a lot of experience like manufacturing with China and I had a co-founder who was also very experienced with like manufacturing. So we basically like solved the technical problem very quickly. And then I think one of the things that led to, you know, built becoming successful was that we layered that technical problem with like an emotional outcome. And so like when I was thinking about the clothing company, because we knew we were going to go into clothing, you got to come up with like a brand that really resonates. Right. Right. And so I was thinking like, OK, this is a men's clothing company. And I went through like a very like from the brand perspective, like a very methodical approach to how to come up with a brand that would like resonate. And so I remember, dude, I was sitting there, I was looking at like all the demographics of men in the US and like different cultural traits and different like languages. Right. Because I really wanted like a globalized brand name that would like make sense and resonate with just about everybody. Right. And so the, I think the big breakthrough for me came to like, okay, well, I got really obsessed at that time. Cause we were like, we had these, you know, we had these shirts, they were like, in, like they were, I guess they were pre-production, but like we knew we were kind of coming out with it. And I got obsessed with this idea where like, could you put on more than just fabric? Could you put on an ideology? Could right. you put on something that would change your state for the day? Right. And so when I sat down and thought about all the times where I felt like I was in a peak state as a man in my life, it's like, okay, you're on a date and you're totally crushing it and she's totally into you. Right. Or you're like snowboarding and you're ripping down a perfect line or you're in the gym doing your like top PR. Right. Whatever like that feeling is when you're totally crushing it, if I had to make a word for that, that could work in all these different perspective sentencing, 
it would be built. And like, that was the acronym that sort of like showed up. It was like, that's it. And when like that, when I first like thought of it, heard of it, I was like, that's, that's it. And it fits in all these different ways because I think when you think of a brand name, it should work in a lot of different sentences, right? You right. should have, you know, I trust blank, right? I shop with blank. I always right. go to blank. You should For use sure. blank. And so when you, when you use a brand name and you can slot it in all those different places, I think that's a pretty good indicator. But um, just in my experience of like building brands, the brands that sell product do okay and they do good. And the brands that sell emotional outcomes do great. And so right. it's like, how can you solve, this is like a question that I ask myself now as I, you know, invest in other companies or, you know, start a company myself is like, what's the technical problem that we can solve that the world absolutely needs, but what's the emotional outcome? And when you layer those, the, the, the response you get from marketing and the response you get from your consumers is totally different. Right. That's crazy, man. That's amazing because it's, it's a, it's a complete community that you've created. I mean, I mean, it's like when I, when I, I can see a built shirt from a million miles away and there's some imposters, there's some people that try to, you know, have some, some, some similar and some people that, you know, have come out with different brands and things, but they're like, there's, there's something that you're right. Like when I put on a shirt, I know I'm confident, like confident. I know, like, I feel that, right? Like, I know it's going to look good. I know that people are going to like it. I know it's a little bit swaggy. I know it goes with this and goes with that. Yeah. Every color that you can imagine is with that. So you can match it to anything, but you know how the fit's going to be, man. I, I love it. And, and, and love how there's a lot of, uh, there a, a lot of thought went into that. And it's, it's, it's the brand that you built. And you say that's your eighth company or sixth yeah, company that, you built. Yeah. That was the sixth company that I had built. And um, now I'm on eight. And Dude, so that's probably actually that's more, amazing. but that's just so, like, the so one. what were the previous, previous five before, before Bill? Well, I was primarily in DSC, right? Okay. So before that, like my first company, I was like really into like unboxing experiences because I had actually like worked at Apple and then I like, uh, that's, I, started, I started my career in Apple actually. Really? And the way that Apple was hiring and you're gonna love this because of culture is like the focus of the pod. Right. And essentially like, you know, at Apple, we were hiring like 40 or 50 people per market that would enter retail every single month. And wow. that was, that would, that training, it was three day training called Apple core and it would happen offsite. And so it was, it, we would do it in like, you know, some luxury hotel, for example. Right. And I remember like, you know, I was super young. I must've been like 18 and I got this job at Apple and it was, I was like kind of headed for retail. And I remember going through that three day experience and I was like, that is what I want to teach because the culture that they were teaching was incredible, man. It was like about emotional alignment. It was like how to build a good team, how to communicate well. Right. I, I really do feel like what they ended up doing at Apple that led to success in the retail environment was teaching people a culture that actually like benefits the company, but also like interpersonal growth and connection. Right. And so you, you build like what is, what feels like a family inside of an organization. And so I ended up like, you know, going back to the retail environment, like day one, I was like, I told the guy at the time who's like my manager or whatever, I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to work in the store. I want to do that. Right. And he was like, okay, well become the number one salesperson, like in the retail environment. And for sure we can go do that. And so that, that's exactly what I did. I became like right. one of the top performers in sales, really understood the culture and then jumped to start teaching core. That's um, awesome. And I loved it, man. Like it was super, it was a super fun thing to do. But I always knew that I was an entrepreneur. And when I was 16, I had started this, like the first, you know, company as an entrepreneur and it went pretty well. Like basically the need that I saw was like all my friends in high school, right? they, they wanted, they wanted work, but they didn't want commitments. And so right. it was like, how could I design something that would give them like a really solid above hourly rate 
wage, but they didn't have to commit. And so I know I lived in Colorado. So I grew up in Colorado. Okay. And in my like neighborhood, there was like these giant, like five acre lots. And I was like, you know, it'd be great is that I could basically go to each one of these doors, just knock on the door, say, I have this landscaping company and let's get like a big ticket sale for that landscaping. So that's exactly what I did. I got these really really big ticket landscaping jobs and I had no idea how I was going to service them. (laughs) I just (laughs) like, and I think it's like actually a pretty good thing for entrepreneurship is like sell and figure it out in in a lot of industries that can work. Um, And so, yeah, I just sold these like, you know, big jobs. And then I would have my friends meet me at my house at like 7 a.m. And the first, you know, so many would get a job. Kind of like, you know, if you're at Home Depot or something, it's like that game. Right. And I remember my dad came downstairs. He was like, why are all these kids here in the basement? I was like, oh, I started a business. But I remember at that time, it was like really formative for me as an entrepreneur because I kind of like got bit by the bug, basically, of like, oh, wow, you can really create your own thing. You can really go your own way and create something, you know, that uh, provides a lot of value. For sure. And so that was cool. Um, but from that, like, you know, basically going forward in the story, like after I was like working at Apple, there was this really interesting, um, you know, career track, I guess you could say, within a corporate environment. And it was like, they basically wanted me to be like a new store opener. And this job was really cool. Like you'd go to London, you'd go to right. all these different places. You travel a lot, especially being single, dude. Like it's just good time. Yeah. And like you're a young kid, you want yeah, to see young, the world, yeah. like, you know. And, and all expense paid company. pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. All expenses <laughs> paid. And like you'd meet incredible people and all this stuff. But right. looking down that lane, what I recognized really quickly was like the further I go down this track, the less I sort of like am looking at the entrepreneur track. And that's my long-term commitment. And so, you know, against some of the advice of like mentors and stuff like that, I was like, ah, screw this, I'm moving on. So I left, moved to California and basically started my first company. And so, you know, going from Denver to uh, California was like a big step. And I think that for, you know, for entrepreneurs, like one of the things to recognize is that the culture of your environment actually will dictate like what you do because it's what you believe in. Right. right? And so if you have a big dream, but like no one in your hometown, like, like shares that vision or has done that, it's like the, the group that you're around, like it does have some level of influence, I think no matter who you are. Right. And so like, you know, there's two things happening there. One is, can you always like resist whatever the culture around you is, if it's not productive for where you want to go? And two, like, where can you enter an environment that's very productive for your goals. And right. so when I drove into Newport Beach, there's these big signs, like, right, you know, it's called Fashion Island. It was mm-hmm. like this yep. specific spot. And there's these big, like, beautiful signs. It's like, welcome to Newport Beach. And honestly, at that time, this is like, I, don't, I think I was like 20 or 21. I was like, for the first time, I was like, I'm home. Like, I'm where I should be. Right. And so that was pretty cool. So I moved there, started my first company. And the first product that I ever brought to the market in like a real way was uh, like a whiskey chiller. <laughs> it was really? Like, yeah, it was a stainless steel sphere. And it was pretty cool because like uh, at the time we, we worked with, you know, China to really manufacture this product. It was like, it was very new. We were the first to do it. So it was like a extruded stainless steel hollow sphere that we injected a phase change material into. Really? And yeah. And that, and that basically that technology, like gets colder than ice and you can put it in drinks and it doesn't dilute. And it was like, okay, well, this is kind of a cool product. Like how could we sell it? And I was like, I got it. We have to package this in a set of two and make them like a trophy-like packaging. We'll call them balls of steel. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> and like, we'll get attention, we'll get PR, which we absolutely did. We were on like, 
you know, Maxim magazine and Playboy and we had, you know, huge PR hits like right away. Right. And I always thought that it was going to be really successful. The product was going to sell successfully with men because like that's, you know, we sold it as a whiskey chiller. Like that's who primarily was drinking whiskey. Right. And, you know, the company didn't like shoot up like a rocket right away. And what we did was we continued to like hone in the site and we continued to make the conversion rate better and better. But um, the big breakthrough happened. I got this email. This is, again, it's like my first company, right? Right. And I got this email from this woman named Bobby. And she's like, hey, we'd love, you know, set of your balls of steel, like overnighted for a TV segment we're doing. And we had done this before, like with local news and it didn't back out. But like, you know, it's so cheap. It's like, why not? We just overnight it. So we would right. overnight the units. And we just, we just had that sort of uh, discipline to just send any PR stuff. But um, this one particular, I didn't realize how big it was. And so like four days or five days later, I wake up and I'm looking at my phone. It's just like, and it's really? blowing up. And I'm like, and I look at my phone and it's just pages and pages and pages of orders. And it was the first like real hit that we had. And it was wow. like, dude, by like 7 a.m. we had done $50,000 in sales and it just kept climbing. And I was like, wow. dude, this is badass. And I'm expecting a bunch of dudes names, right? Cause like right. that's our target demo or at least we thought. And it's like all women is, it's all women. Really? And they're buying as gifts for their guys. Right. I, I remember I called like our team and I was like, okay, we're now a women's gift company. Like totally shift the site. Like that's where we're going. And that company ended up like, it ended up doing like really, really well. Wow. And it was niched, right? So like, it was like, we dominated our one niche and we dominated in such a fashion where like, dude, the MGM group in Las Vegas would mm -hmm. hit us up for like custom sets that we had created. Really? We'd send them to like Michael Jordan and all these like famous like people for like really? invitations. Like it was really cool. Wow. We created like an 18 karat gold set and like that's what they wanted for the celebrities. Wow. So it's like just thinking about, you know, product iterations, how can you make it splashy? Like that kind of stuff. It ended up working really well. And we dominated in a very niche vertical. And I knew that I wanted to get out of that niche. And right. so that was kind of like the focus that led me to like a couple different other places. So, you know, like in between that and built, there was like, I had a tech company called Just News. And this was like a place for, you know, bloggers to like code that like, well, it was a place for bloggers to write that didn't know how to code. Okay. Like they wanted to produce content online. This is like pre, this is like when Medium was coming out. This was really early right. in the internet. And um, essentially like, this is pretty great because we would split the advertising 70 30. And so we'd have these content producers like sign up and just start writing. Right. And that level of content really helped SEO. So all of a sudden right. the site's getting a bunch of traffic and I got hit up um, really early in this business actually by this guy who had this email and it was like a really sketchy looking email. And he's right. like, we love the business. We'd love to buy it. And I was like, okay, sure. Um, and so, you know, I shot him a, a price and I really didn't have the experience of like, how to negotiate and sell a business. So I just shot him like a lowball price. I was like, oh, I guess this would be cool. And he was immediately, he was like, yeah, that we love that. We'll take that. And it turns out the next email I got that had like the documents to sign mm -hmm. was from like this large conglomerate. I was like, dude, the guy was so smart because he came in through an email that didn't really like showcase who he was or right. like, the money he might have. <laughs> and sure. I was like, yeah, whatever. And then he like had this thing. That's so, I, funny. so had that, that was a cool, like, uh, you know, that was a cool win. Right. Right. And then, um, after that I ended up starting like, a uh, in Orange County, I started a eyelash extension salon. Oh and, really? Yeah, and this was like for this was like the number. This became the number one place to get lashes done in Orange County. Really? Yeah, and like talking about culture, like we could actually dive into this a lot. But yeah, like, we did some things like we. So the name of the business was Social Lashes, and that concept was really about 
how could we be like a source of community right. in the greater community of Orange County, a right. place where people could come and feel accepted, could come and feel loved, could feel heard, but also get their lashes done. Right. Because like in that setting, that's beauty. Like you have a technician and you know, a customer, like they're constantly talking. Right. And so then the, like the question then is like, well, how do you create a culture in your staff that actually backs that out into reality? Right. So we could, we'll come back to that, but just to continue on with the entrepreneurial story, like at the same time I got, I basically invested in social ashes. Um, I also invested in built. And so it was like, okay, knew I was going to get in clothing. And I had a friend at the time who was doing like the shipping for that original company. Right. And this guy was like, he was, he was really cool. We were like really good friends. And so essentially like we both knew we were going to get in clothing and I was going to go a slightly different direction with the concept I told you was like, how do you put on an ideology? Right. And um, we basically like partnered in that and we started build. So we like each put in, you know, I put in 10,000, he put in 10,000, uh, very like minimal investment. We did get wow. one investor who like, it really put in not much. Right. Right. So like on a very, very tight budget about equal to what I put into social ashes, you know, if you flash forward the story a little bit, uh, built is just taking off. Like, right. It's like total PMF. Like this, this company is moving quickly. Right. And both of these businesses, like we're doing really well. And social ashes had kind of like hit its cap, meaning like there was no more room, right? We needed to expand. And my original right. goal with that business was 65 locations across the United States as a franchise. Wow. And so we had built it to be franchise ready. Like it was completely vertically integrated. We manufactured all of our product from China, it was super cheap. Really? Yeah. Like we were really, we were really capital efficient and this business was about to go, but it was like when you have, like, sometimes this happens where it's like, you have two really great opportunities, but like one is a little bit better. So right. it's like, so I sort of like started working on that a little bit more. Right. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we get like built is probably the, you know, the most well-known brand obviously. Right. Um, and so it's really cool. I think as like an entrepreneur or something like I've always wanted and like earlier in my career, something I was like focused on was like, wouldn't it be cool to put a product out and like see people wear it or use it every yeah. day. And uh, I remember like, this is like, wow, this is like 2013 this is a long time ago, but I was talking to Jake Casson uh, uh, over at movement watches. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you know, like a brand is really something that like people are experiencing or seeing every day. Like if you can be top of mind in like a physical way with your consumers every single day, like that's a pretty sticky way to like, you know, grab market share. Right. And so I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. Like people wearing the clothing every day and I saw them out in public. And I remember I, f I saw the first guy like ever wearing the shirt that I didn't know. And I, I went up to him, I was like, hey man, nice shirt. <laughs> he's yeah. like, he's like, thanks. And I was like telling the story, I was like, yeah, dude, I founded that, that's amazing. Like the first person I've ever seen. It was just a great experience, cool. dude. And now I, I see people every day with it, obviously. Dude, it's all over the place. Yeah, it's all over the place. Yeah. And, it, and it's a phenomenal brand, dude. Like the, essentially like, it's crazy how the, the foundational brand that was set in 2016, like doesn't need to change. It's right. just, it just keeps going. For sure. And you, when did you exit, exit built? So I started in 2016 and I exited in like 2019. Okay. And so, uh, founder was running that. And then I moved on to do some other stuff, which is like venture capital. Right. And so, um, sold that. And then I would say like the immediate next step that I took was to actually build an agency. Cause like a lot of the strategic things that we did and built in terms of like an operational standpoint, mm -hmm. they really yielded huge success. And we could like show that roadmap pretty easily to anybody else. And so right. that led me to like partner with some, with some really great guys, uh, Taylor Offer and Parker Burr they run feet clothing. And oh, yeah. so, so I partnered with them to build this agency and we quickly became like the agency for fortune 500s or like publicly traded companies. Wow. And what happened was like, you know, 
this was like, I guess we were moving into COVID, right? So like COVID hit and you would talk to these, you know, you'd sit in the boardroom, for example, of a very large company and they'd have like this phenomenal product that just didn't have a great brand and it was distributed right. into like TJ Maxx or whatever. And they had this incredible like operational back end. And so they could manufacture a product that was super high quality. They just didn't have the brand and they didn't have an online presence. Right. And so we would go in and we would create an online presence for them. And honestly, it was like, a, it was an amazing outcome. And so we did really well with that. And then I uh, started, I like have always been interested in like the front lines of entrepreneurship, right? right? Like what does it look like to go from zero to one to from one to 10, right? right. Like those really those big jumps. Um, and so I took, so I basically took cash and rolled it into a, a venture fund that I started that I was the solo GP of wow. or general partner. Yeah. And that's called Hyper Oaks Capital. And so for the next two years, I basically took Hyper Oaks and traveled the world. I lived in 18 cities for a month each, wow. meeting entrepreneurs, meeting founders who were building like the next great thing. And we would typically write like the very, what is like their very first check. Right. And so, you know, we wrote, we've got a bunch of great portfolio companies now with just exceptionally smart founders. And some of them have sold, a lot of them are like marked up and they're doing really well. They're like now entering like, you know, maybe series A or something like that. Right. So that was really fun. And I always knew like I was gonna get back to building. And so this like kind of takes us to today a little bit. Right. So it's like, you know, I was like, okay, when, you know, for me, it's like now at this point in my career, if I'm gonna be the operator, AKA like founder, CEO, like it's gotta be a huge problem. Right. And for me, it's the business has to like solve a problem for humanity that like really does change the world. Wow. Like, that's my focus. That's powerful. And it has to have a clear throughput to a billion dollar outcome. Like right. if it can't reach, if, it, if, if the throughput from start to a, at least a $1 billion valuation, like isn't crystal clear, like I'm not interested in being like the CEO of it. Right. But you know, there's, there's cases where you might invest, but like as an investor too, you're always looking for like, you know, extraordinary outcomes. Right. And so that comes down to a lot of times to like, well, how big is the uh, like how big is the target market? How fast is it growing? And like, what is the unique advantage that your business actually provides to the world? Right. So, um, yeah. So basically like, as I was kind of thinking about that, I was like, I think inspiration will hit me at some point. And if, and when it does, like I'll, I'll, I'll go really aggressively in that direction. Right. And so, um, that ended up actually happening uh, very late last year. So like at the very end of 22, I get, uh, actually it's kind of a crazy story because the idea came from kind of a bad thing, which was like at, in 2022, so like last year, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And oh, I'm I sorry think to hear that. Yeah, man, it's, it was, it's a really hard thing to hear. I yeah. think that like, you know, you know, I love my dad, we're super close, we're super good friends. And so when he was like, yeah, he called me and he was like, Hey, I've been diagnosed with cancer. It is what it is. And he's like, I have like six chemo treatments and I'm going to start that like right away. And right. he was in Arizona. So I was like, all right, I got a place in Arizona to be like closer to him, like while he was going through his chemo treatments and two chemo treatments in, he is in full remission. And the really? doctors are like, Whoa, like what, what's going on? And so I caught wind of that. And I called my dad. I'm like, dad, what are you doing? That is non-obvious that has led to your rapid healing. Right. And without missing a beat, he was like, oh, it's my affirmations. And I was like, your affirmations? I was like, email them to me. So he emails me this list of affirmations. And I mean, they're really like, they're really high quality affirmations. But as an entrepreneur, like curiosity and allowing yourself to like dive into rabbit holes about subjects has always been like a big tool that I've used in my toolbox to like generate a new business idea. Right. And so I start reading like research that's been done from like 1988 to 2016 to today. And there's like numerous studies. There's a, actually a lot of 
clinical studies that have been done on the power of like self-affirming and that leading to positive health outcomes for not only like cancer, but also weight loss, job performance, optimism. And so it's like study after study after study. It's like basically what I've, what I've uncovered here is like there is a lot of clinical research that's been done that positive self-reinforcement, like positive right. self-affirming leads to better outcomes. And right. the science behind it, is, or the neuroscience behind it is that when you self-affirm, you actually do rewire your brain. For sure. And so yeah. the, in the way that you do rewire your brain is like positive future-oriented statements repeated actually change the way that you self-actualize. And so when you change the way that you view yourself, that actually rewires your reward system and you autonomously start taking action in the direction that you want. And so when I look at like humanity, the biggest problem that I see is that there's a lack of self-belief. Like right. there's Oh, for sure. Yeah. And yeah, people are just negative. They have no confidence. Like it's kind of, it's bad. It's bad out there. It is. And like we, and like you look at like a social media usage graph over time and you look at suicide rates, they're directly correlated. Really? Yeah. And so like social media is, is like, Yikes. you know, I wonder sometimes like, is it a net benefit for humanity? But that's a little bit besides the point. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> like it's here and it's here to yeah, stay. Yeah. It, yeah. And, it, and it, it is like, I see it a lot of times in, uh, like in my life, in my circle and people is comparing yourself to everybody else. And yeah. like what people like, the, the good and bad thing about Instagram is you put on there what you want to put on there and you kind of make your life look how you want it to look, but it's not necessarily always the truth. And then you compare your life or whatever circumstances against them. And it's just, it, it almost gets depressing sometimes. Like even me, I'm like, man, I, I feel like I'm failing. Dude. I mean, I, I measure my happiness. So like, I actually like have a document that I run like every two weeks. Really? Yeah. And I basically take a picture of myself so I can just kind of see what I look like. And then I ask myself like arbitrarily, like in these 10 categories, how do I feel? And then I take the average of that number and that's like the score for the two weeks. Really? And I track it over time. And what I see is like, I have a direct, there's a direct correlation for me from using social media, like frequently, like doom scrolling at night right? and me feeling doom happy. Doom scrolling. I love that. <laughs> yeah. <we're> quite, <laughs> these things are like, you know, like it, it's probably rooted in comparison or something like that. Right? right. Um, and so, yeah, it's like humanity like needs a better tool to rediscover and define self-belief. Right. And so the science is pretty crystal clear on this. And we're in a time in history that I look at as an amazing opportunity, which is that if I, talk to someone and I say, Hey, you shouldn't watch the news because you know, you might, you might feel more negative about the world. Most people would agree with me. But right. then if I say, Hey, by the way, if you talk to yourself in a positive way, you might feel better about the goals that you have and what you're doing. But people don't like it's like, culturally, that's not totally accepted yet. Right. And not normalized. And right. so like the, the mission that we have at Mindframe is to normalize that and give humanity the first tool uh, that basically helps them rediscover and define self-belief in a right. completely new way. And so that's what we're working on. And like, honestly, like if we can change an entire generation and the way that they believe in themselves, the actions they'll take will be different and we will truly change the world. And that's what the focus I is of Mindframe. And so how do we do that? Well, you know, right now, one of the biggest platform shifts in technology is generative AI. And so like OpenAI, for example, has created the model that runs like chat, right? right? or, you know, chat GTP four, for example, like right. that model is created by OpenAI, And there's a lot of companies like that. They're creating the data infra, like the this data infrastructure level for generative AI in the future. Right. And so when we look at these models, 
I'm really skeptical for a startup to actually generate its own model at this point, but I'm very optimistic about a company using multiple models that are all finely tuned for one objective and then basically bundled into a product that's just magical to use. Right. And so that's what we're creating. We're creating like a, a platform that you can share the way you feel, the way you, like what your goals are, like what you want out of life, for example, and we'll generate custom content for you that's delivered in meditative, sleep, affirmation style, workout style, audio. And wow. so it's like a personal channel for you to like work on your self-belief and it increases optimism. And our early users like absolutely experience a breakthrough in their life. Wow. They start working towards their goals. They start losing weight. They get over like blocks in their mind. It's actually incredible. I love and that. So, yeah. So we're going to change the world with Mindframe. And our yeah, I love team it. is incredible. Dude. We've, Heck yeah. Yeah. So we talk about culture a lot yeah. because this is a very mission driven organization. And as we bring in like more leaders, what's happened in this company is like really cool to see. Right. Yeah. And so that's, you know, we could talk all about that. And then, yeah, I mean, I could like, I keep going like, you know, I also have like a ven <laughs> venture companies doing pretty well. So we could talk yeah. about that. But anyways, that's kind of my like entrepreneurial story. Dude, it's, it's a lot. So how old are you? Uh, so I'm 32. Dude, you're young. Yeah, yeah, I do. I feel like- I mean, you're older than me, so you're old, but you're young. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you know, I'm like, I'm probably not young, I guess, at 32, but I- No, uh, you're young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do feel, I do yeah. feel young. Dude, yeah. it's awesome. Like you've done so much, but I love, like we, I got a little inside look, what, a few months ago or whenever it was at Mindframe. And I'm like, dude, this is incredible because I fully believe like you build a better person, you build a better company, you build a better humanity, you build a better world. And it all starts with your mind. Like my dad always used to tell me like your mind can heal you and kill you. Yeah. Literally dude, can that. heal you and kill you. And it's up that. to you to make the decision if you wanted to heal you or you wanted to kill you. But your negative thoughts and how you believe is going to change everything. And I mean, he taught at like very, very, very young, like, you know, when you're born basically is like, he was a, like a, um, you know, motivational speaker and very involved in, oh, in, awesome. in the world of self-development. But it, it's true. Like I, I've heard the story that in, in older times, I don't know when I, I, someone's probably going to murder me for, for saying this, but I heard the story one time that they used to torture people way back in the day with ice cutting their wrists oh, no and way. just dripping on their wrists, but the person that was getting tortured thought that they were getting cut and they would die. Oh, no way. Because your mind wow. thinks that you're getting cut and you're bleeding out. Wow. So they would act like they cut you, they'd put ice on you and it'd be cold and you would feel like you're, you're, you're dying and then you would die. I mean, it's <laughs> Dude, crazy. Like your crazy. mind is so powerful and people don't realize what they're feeding their mind yeah. and what it does to people. And I'm like, that's what I I love this. Like I, I honestly cannot wait for Mindframe to come out because I'm secretly going to ask you if I can use it within everything like our companies, what we do, because 100%. like, I think it's so important to have a platform to be able to help you in your mind. Cause like I can set you up for success. I can do everything for you have the greatest company in the world, but it's up to you to make those decisions to be better. But I like the tools that you, you give people and that's where it starts. Like that's the foundation of, of, of us as humans is our brain, our mind, how we think, how we operate, what we want in life, our goals, our achievements, our objectives, our relationships, like everything we want, I think comes from the mind. Like I, when I was younger, I used to, it's crazy. Like I've thought mo pretty much everything in my life. I've thought into existence. Yeah. I mean, it, dude, it's true. Like everything starts with a thought. Yeah. Like everything that you have in your life started with a, a vision, right? Right. Um, and I, I have some like esoteric beliefs about vision. I think the same power that put your soul in your body also brings vision. Like right. I think that's where they come from. And I think that when you respect like the visions that you have with, at that level, then and execute them execute on them you can create some extraordinary outcomes right yeah and then and it's incredible what you can do when you when you take that step but one thing that i 
that I always tell people is like, look, like you can sit here and dream and dream and dream and dream and dream and dream, but you have to take the necessary steps to achieve those goals. And you have to, you have to do it. Right. You have to like, I, I totally believe in the secret. Like you believe it, you dream like we, like we just talked about, but you do have to create massive action 100%. to be able to, to accomplish those goals. But if you don't, I always tell people your dream's not big enough. Yeah. Your dream should be so big that it should motivate you every single, like you should move towards your dream every single day. And if it's one step a day, move towards something, at least you, why you wake up. It's like, that's why I believe when I go into executive coaching into, into companies is you create like your vision statement, your value statement, your mission statement, because we need a reason to come to work. Yeah, dude. Like we, we, we need a dream. Like your team and your, your employees need a dream to come to work. Why, why are they here besides collecting a paycheck? Yeah. Cause that, that only goes so far. And if you teach people to go to work and collect a paycheck, the next person that offers them more money, you they're just gone. taught them to go, go over there. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, now we need a reason to buy into and dude, I love what you're doing. You're, you're, you're crushing it, dude. Like it, it's so cool yeah. to see that. Like, Thanks, man. It's like been you're, a lot of fun. you're going to change the landscape yeah. of, of humanity. I mean, it's going to be insane. Like I, like I, I just, from a little bit I've seen from it, the, the deck and everything, it's incredible. Yeah. And dude, the technology is like absolutely insane. Yeah, I love and, that it's customized. Yeah. It's a customized and like, dude, like the business opportunity is pretty clear too, because about a billion people every year pay for and listen to totally pre-canned content. So that right. means everyone, every one of the users that's on like headspace, calm or insight timer is mm -hmm. all listening to the same content, right? Dude, that's the past. The future is yeah. like a tuned channel that's for you. And we're creating dude, it. Dude, That's incredible. Cause yeah. like calm is pretty big. At least yeah, I think, these, I mean, yeah, these are all multi-billion dollar outcomes. Yeah. yeah. But it's only just like everybody's listening. I mean, and there were like, so I used to have the call map because I think American Express signed me up for a free oh, yeah. year membership Dude, you know, that's, a couple years, a couple years that's ago. That's like the only way they can get users right now. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I feel. But yeah. And so I was like, oh, I'll try it. Yeah. And like, it, there would only be, it's, it felt like it was so surface level because there was only like five things for meditation. And I'm like, well, it's the same five things all the time. Or like, I never felt like it just never, so I never really did it much. Yeah. And I'm really excited about this. Yeah. And I think that's like, it solves a problem for the industry as well, which is like retention. So like user retention is a problem in this industry. If you, dig, right. if you dig under the surface, like you see that pretty quickly with the way that uh, Headspace's users move through the app, like they're not retentive. And the reason why is because like, you know, they go through content that's relevant for them, but then inevitably there's a place where it's just not. Right. And you can't find like a pre-made content that's relevant for your today's experience. Right. And so if you really take that into the future and you apply mind frame to it, it's like, well, what about a channel that's personal for you constantly, always? Right. And, you know. Yeah, I don't want, like. We'll probably. I don't want to go into the tech too much right. because there's like a lot of preparatory thinking that we have there. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about the outcome. Yeah. And you know, I our like our vision is that 100 million people tune into their MindFrame channel every single day through our iOS apps. It's incredible. Yeah, and that you know will be on like a, a subscription, and so. I think it's going to be an awesome way to offer people something that really can move the needle for their, you know, their mental side of life. Right. And like, I really like what you said because I'm actually like a big believer in the way that you think, right? Like this is an enormous piece of the actions you would then take, right. but like taking action is the key. And so right. sometimes the lack of taking action is actually has a lot more to do with the we, way that you believe in those belief. visions. Yeah. You don't believe enough or you believe like, it's almost like my dad. So my dad used to have the greatest, one of these greatest talks. And he actually gave this talk in front of 90,000 people at the Georgia Dome. Oh, that's amazing. And it was incredible. And it talked about like a smoker and their belief and their actions versus their, like what's wrong. And you think it's the actions that's wrong. No, it's their belief. Like, 
like everything that goes into that. Like, and it's, it's like my, it's cra- I wish my dad was here right now. He could explain it. Cause he explains it so well, but it's true. Like everybody's like, Oh, you need to do this better. You need to do this better. And you, you need to do whatever. And that's why I feel like I've had success in our company is like, Hey, well, they're not doing what we want them to do. It's not that they're dumb. Their, their belief, something's wrong with their belief. Like something, they don't want to do it. And there's, there's a huge disconnect with that in the world. Like Dude, everybody thinks is. it's the outcome like, or, or, or the actions. Yeah. Well, they're not doing this right. And they're not doing that right. Well, why? Like Dude. I'm always the why guy. Why? <laughs> yeah. Well, like what's the hang up? Yeah. Um, and, and it's like, you know, I think people look at like, they look at the downstream actions and they're not looking at the upstream beliefs, right? That's one thing that like tends to happen. You see a lot of like entrepreneurs, just people in general, like what's your routine look like? Or what time do you wake up? Do you like a lot of that stuff is irrelevant. Right. Um, what's more relevant is like, what are their beliefs and what are the processes that they're running? Right. And so it's like, when you look at the process driven action and you look at the beliefs that feed that, like that's where you, like you should focus as an entrepreneur. Right. You get, like other advice from other entrepreneurs or like you're looking at even your own behavior and you want to like execute faster better right. more rapidly whatever it is yeah um but it, it's huge man mindset is huge yeah. and in uh, we're really excited to you know change the world in this way and let's dive into the culture about it a bit sure. because you know i've run uh you know i've run quite a few different companies now and right. you know we've had you know i've hired and fired about 150 people in my entrepreneurial career and so in each different company has had a slightly different culture. And so I've been able to like really see how, you know, tweaking culture can back out into like action in the business. Right. And I think that there's two levels of culture. I think there's like table stakes culture. And then I think there's culture that can drive your company performance. Dude, you, that is the biggest, it's a huge disconnect because it's not like people think, oh, I'm going to have this right culture. We're going to have, you know, vending machines and we're going to have a, a, a basketball court and we're going to have a tennis court. Okay. <laughs> culture is a feeling. Yeah. It's how do you feel when you walk through the door? It's like Apple. Yeah. Dude, I feel the same way every time I walk into an Apple store. Maybe because they all look the same. Maybe because everybody's dressed the same, but it's a feeling, right? Like I don't necessarily get anything crazy when I go into an Apple store. It is the most simplistic store it's like, just a box it's just it's just a it's, <laughs> it's a, a square box. it's a beautiful box it's square with some tables and some stuff on it it's nothing crazy but it's the it's the feeling so i like what i like that you you just said that because that is a huge disconnect i think in the world right now because they think like these tech companies get this massive amount of money hey what are we gonna do with the money oh we need to build a culture and we need to have this and that in the office and that and the like it's just it's a huge disconnect yeah and honestly man like i think that performance-driven culture is really important. Right. And if you're aware of how to drive culture in a company, like you should probably work on that. Right. And I think like if you're if you're a new entrepreneur or it's a new team or your culture is like really messed up, I think the place to start is actually like the table stakes culture. Right. And to me, it's like defining table stakes culture and actually implementing it into a company is much more about like, how do we communicate here? Right. And interpersonally, how do we interact? And when things are urgent, how do you behave? And so it's like that culture kind of resides, I think, in the way that as your leaders and you as a leader interact with your staff is like, you know, culture is not what the poster on the wall says. Right. It is is, is what's actually happening in your company. Right. <laughs> and so like <laughs> For sure. if, if you put on the culture, it's like you, you know, we treat each other like family or whatever. Um, but then like you're, you know, with your staff being really aggressive and not acting like that, like that's not your culture. So culture right. is what you do. It's not what you say. Right. And so like, I think one of the best ways to set culture is as a leader, I've like, I think I've had to learn this, which is like, it's sometimes it's important to like slow down a little bit mm-hmm. and, and really be thoughtful about how you communicate with your staff and, and how you're assigning responsibility as well. 
Um, there's a lot of different ways that we could kind of take this, but yeah, no, it's so true because everybody's different. So I do a lot of, uh, like executive coaching, culture coaching, and, but I really focus on personalities and management styles. So I have a software, um, that, that is unbelievable. Basically you take a test. I have a 30 page report about your thoughts, how you are as a person, all of your, everybody has two personalities in my opinion. You have a personality in favorable situations and in unfavorable situations. It's almost like your reactionary personality. Oh, I love that. And so yeah. what my test does is basically shows me those two personalities and then adds an at, like a, a an attribute to them, like an adventurer, an enthusiast, a protector. And so you really dive deep into the who this actual individual is. And so when I do a lot of like executive coaching, I you know meet with the team leader or executive or owner, whoever. Then I keep going down, but then always promoting up. So I'm always like, hey, your manager is this personality, mm. so you know. Or your owner is this personality, so you know. And like we we let everything go, like, you know, ebb and flow because everybody needs to be talked to the same. Like, you know, I call like, I, I use DISC. So like high eye personality is an interacting socializer, right? Yeah. If I go to them and need them to do something, I tell them how fun it's going to be because they just want to have fun and party. Hey, you need to do this and we need to do that. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to help a lot of people. And this is going to affect and impact people. And it's okay. I can do it. If I went and told them 45 different details about that, they'd just be glossed over and wouldn't know. They'd be like, I really don't care about the details. Just tell me we're going to help people and have yeah. a lot of fun. It's yeah, like, okay, I'm sure that you know, like, I'm sure you know those, these people. Yeah, for sure. Then you go to these, what I call like a cautious thinker is a C personality. You go tell them all the details and then good. They don't want to know that we're going to have fun because fun doesn't make Fun's not your revenue. It's like usually your C personalities, your accountants, your controllers, your CFOs, they're way less wanting to party. They just want to know it's going to help the bottom line. Yeah. But you ebb and flow. And so I, I take the money ball approach to executive teams. Like, you know, it's all by data. And then I also have a 30-page report on your management styles. Wow. How you naturally man manage people or, or micromanage people, or I call it focus manage people. Or you're, are you a natural-born cheerleader? And like what position can we put you in to have you excel Wow. Or instead of putting you in a box, you excel. Now, I'll never pigeonhole personality because some people will surprise you, but it's so important that we talk to people how they can perform the best and set them up for success. It's like, you know, I'm not putting Chris Paul in a center. Yeah. I don't yeah. care how bad he wants to be the center. It just doesn't really work. Yeah. It's like and so you have to have thing. those conversations with people like, hey, like, let's say you up for success. Yeah. Yeah. And I do. I agree with this. And I, I think that like, you know, the way that I look at being a CEO has changed a lot over the years. And now I, I sort of think of like the CEO role having very few jobs. Like I really do think that like a great CEO knows how to allocate capital directly um, or sharply, you could say. Right. They know how to recruit really great people and protect that team. Right. right. So no like bad apples. And so like what you're talking about, about intuitively being able to like assess someone maybe who's like one of your uh, reports, uh, what is their personality and how do I need to communicate with this person to, you know, activate them on the task. Right. And so I, I always look for leaders. I always look for leaders who naturally have that ability mm -hmm. and can communicate to different personality types in real time. Right. And it's like when you when you break out the data in that clear way. Like, I think that's an amazing tool to like feed back to those, that leadership to be like, right. you know, now you have the sort of like, we'll call it like data transparency or like high resolution right. visibility on who you're actually working with. Right. Um, and I, I think that over time, 
that becomes a competency that just gets baked in and it's intuitive. Right. And I think that actually like being a good leader is having that ability where you don't have to look at someone's report mm -hmm. because it can kind of feel like if it's the first time you're ever looking at those, it can kind of be overwhelming. It's right. like, okay, I've got like seven direct reports and how do I talk to them? Right. And so it can be like a lot, right? Right. Um, but over time it becomes very intuitive. Yeah. And like those are the leaders we're looking for to bring onto our executive team. And honestly, like, there's the there's few of them out there, right? right? And but the the ones that we find that intuitively have that, dude, they outperform. They're so oh, yeah. they're so good because yeah. they can activate people. It's amazing right. to see yeah. actually. Like I I usually about thirty seconds talking to someone, I know exactly what personality they are. Yeah, like and then I start going down the list of like what's their second personality, what's their third trait, what's their fourth trait, because um, I use discs, so we, there's four of them, and it, it 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 is powerful because then you know that you want to talk to them, and you know how to like, it, it sounds bad but you know how to like talk to them at a deeper level and get them to do things that they might be feeling uncomfortable with or they might not want to do but it's deeper than just like yelling at them and telling them to do a task it's like you you almost like speak into their unconscious mind yeah where it's like persuasion's a bad way to put it but just like you know having them do it for a deeper reason yeah, it's part of being influential. And I, I think some people misappropriately look at that and go, like, that's like manipulative. Right. But it's really not. You're really just appealing to your audience. Right. Because it's like, it's the same thing. It's just articulating. Sound like my wife. She's like, oh, right. she's like, you're manipulating. No, I'm giving them exactly what he or she wants. Right. I'm like, exactly. Like, what gets them. So I always tell this to like executive teams, like, how, how can I get someone so excited? Okay, me, I love golf, right? Golf is my jam. All right. I wake up at 4.30, 5.30, whatever it takes to go golfing bright and early, right? How do I get someone so excited to come? Because I want 100% of people to excel. Like I, I want I want my team to excel 100% when they're when they're at work. So we're we're all having a good time and we're just, now that's never gonna happen perfect, but that's my goal. Like I I'm, I don't feel like any CEO is like, hey, I want everybody to be operating at 50%. Yeah. That's not why we hire people, yeah, you, right? You want them to crush. But how can I get, how can I, ha how can I set them up for success and build an environment where their feet hit the ground and they're super excited to come to work and they're giving me a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. Now is yeah. that, are we going to hit that, you know, a hundred percent of the time? No. Yeah. But how, how can I create an environment and set them up where they, they love that yeah. now people burn out and different things. Like, yeah, like that, that happens. But it's like when, when, how, how do you get someone so excited where they're on a Saturday morning at 6am they're, you know, 601, their feet are hit the ground and they're real excited to get up for the day and they, they go golfing. Like, I want that excitement to come to work. I was like, if you hate to go to work or you hate this or hate that, like you're the environment you're creating is not gonna be a long-term environment. We see that the book, Good to Great. They, they, I don't know if you've, you've read it, but it's a fantastic book talking about these, these companies that go from good to great and they study over 1,100 companies. And you know they, they create an environment that people excel, people wanna be a part of the team. Kind of like Apple. Yeah. Like people want to be a part of the team. Yeah. You get but, people really plugged in. Yeah. There's a lot of big companies out there that necessarily like are up and then back down because they didn't, they don't have a foundational culture of how to talk to people, how to deal with people and get them to excel. Then we see it in sports teams. Yeah. They, they not, I mean the Lakers right now, they have all the best people. I mean, they had Russell Westbrook, they have LeBron James, they have every, they have everybody. Yeah. They can't win a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, it because there's more to than talent. There's more to a company, there's more to a business and more to a team than talent. Yeah. It's like we see, I don't know if you like basketball, I love basketball, but like the Spurs back in the day, Popovich, he made the All-Stars. He he drafted, they did some smart drafting in the draft, but he made the All-Stars. And he kept a good culture and he never changed. And his teams have always been historically great.
But when Phil Jackson and, you know, we've had this crazy stuff going on with the Lakers since Phil Jackson left, they've never really done much. Yeah. And it's the, it's culture. They're trying to put pieces together and just try to win based off of talent. And there, there's no culture. Like there's no team, like there's nothing there. Yeah. It, it, dude, it, culture defines like where a company is going to go and the pace that's going to run at. Like I think so much more than people assume, especially in like a startup environment, right? Because the startup environment, you're taking like two people, goes to 10 people, goes to 25, goes to 50. Right. Um, you know, and at that point, you're probably like, you're bringing in different leadership. So there's like these cultural like moments in a company. I think like when a company goes from like, once it hits its first like million, it'll run up to 10 million pretty quickly. And right. at that point, the companies that we work with tend to either like pause right there or update their leadership and like get new people in. And it's a cultural shift that right. actually takes place at that time, right? And it's usually like the company needs to have a different like communication layer. There needs to be more like visibility into like what everyone's doing. Cause it's like, it's, you can't, it's harder to manage 50 people, right? Right. And so what we see is like companies that are successfully able to, able to navigate that cultural shift and like welcome that change um, do really well. And ones that kind of resist the old struggle with that. And so one of the things that I remember learning basically from Apple that was like so good was having a culture that embraces change, like right. really hammering that with your staff and your people. It's like whatever we like embrace the change. We don't resist right. change. And because it happens, I mean, it's going to happen. It's gonna, has to happen. Has to happen. You have to grow and you have to, to flow with what the, what, what the, your customers are wanting. You know, just like you did with the, with the, what are they called? Whiskey, uh, the whiskey oh, balls? balls of steel. Balls of steel. Dude, balls of steel. I, we have the trademark. I still own the trademark. Dude, I love them. Balls of steel. Awesome. <laughs> so crazy. But uh, you had to shift. I mean, in yeah. one, in one moment you had to shift and embrace that change. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to find it. Um, oh man, we could talk startup world all day long, dude. Like uh, I have that. So one thing I want to ask you is, is how, so scaling companies and yeah. obviously you've scaled quite a few companies Yeah, yeah. and obviously you need people to do that. And you know, that's where we can talk about culture. How hard has it been to either to bring in, you know, executive teams or executives or people from the outside world into the, the startup? Because like you've founded these companies with you and just a couple of people and then grown and grown and grown and bringing people into a company. How hard has that been for you? I mean, it's a really good question. I think that like bringing really high quality leadership is firstly, it's really important. And there's a data study that was done recently that I'll share because it's like will change your mind about how important leadership is. But um, there was a there was a cohort of companies that was tracked for like, a, I think it was like eight years or 10 years, something like that. And they were they wanted to see what led to a billion dollar outcome versus not. And so they looked at this cohort and they looked for key distinctions in the, the way that the team hired, the way that they compensated their employees, the way that they ran their employees. And one of the key takeaways was in the cohort that actually got to a billion dollars, they hired leadership at seven times the rate of their, their counterparts in the study. And so leadership wow. is actually super important. And I used to think that like the right way to like layer on staff was like, you know, you basically like you as a startup founder, like you're wearing a lot of hats. And so you're like executing on emails, for example, and then you kind of get yourself out of the trenches on email. So you like hire someone, right? And right. Like, you build this team to like run the tasks to actually execute on the business. Right. Um, actually, I don't think that's the right way to do it anymore. Uh, the way I think about it now is that the right way is to literally start by assigning leadership. And this is like one person is responsible for one department, right. right? There's like one key person in operations. There's one key person on marketing. And when you think about building a company from that standpoint, then it's like, it actually simplifies your job as a CEO. 
and it challenges you in some ways. And so it simplifies it because you're not actually having to think about all the staff and all these, you know, positions like who's going to run the ads, who's going to run email. You think about what leader do I need who can come on board and can build this team and can have really clear insight into the future of how to get that done. Right. And so the challenge that that actually then imposes on the founder is like, how do I, you know, in really early stage first time founders, how do I give up control is a big yeah, one that we, sure. that we talk through with our founders and our, our portfolio companies about a lot. But it, it also challenges you to like, when you have really high power leaders in your business, they're, they're like, I, you could say vision of like what they want for their life and what they want to achieve in the world needs to fit within the greater vision of the team. Right. And we can achieve a lot on our own, but we can achieve extraordinary things as a team. Right. And I think if, when you come from building a startup from a place of like, let's allow this vision to grow and scale and become something truly like world changing. Mm -hmm. Great leaders are attracted to that. Right. And so I've, I've struggled in the past with other companies where you have a difficult time finding leadership. And so what that might look like is leadership that is mission driven passes over you because there's not like a clear mission in right. the company, right? And so you want mission driven people. So having like a, a really clear mission as a company is like a little bit of a hack to find great leadership. For sure. Um, and then, you know, say you're not in that business today and you're like, well, I need leaders. The, the answer is actually just to take whatever you're doing and expand it and to create a mission. And it's, right. I love this like quote and I, I'll try to get it right, but it's like a little bit of a story, but it's like, you know, this guy walks up to a church and there's like three people working on the church. Right. right. And, uh, you know, he talks to the first guy, he's like, Hey, wh what are you doing? And he's like, Oh, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm chiseling rocks. And he's like, okay. So he moves to the next one. He's like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm shaping stone. And he talks to the third one. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm building a church. And so in like the, basically that narrative just says like, you could work on the same things, but articulate it differently and focus right. on a different thing. So it's like, if you're in I landscaping and you're like, well, we're not, we're not a mission driven company. Like we're just like a contractor or something like that. Well, it's like, take the thing. If it's landscaping, like, yeah, you cut grass, but what if it, you just scale it up, right? To what people want. It's like, no, we're changing communities. We're changing communities to be clean so that right. these house, these properties can go up in value and we can save these homeowners lives. Right. And like when you, <laughs> when you take whatever it is you're doing and scale it up through that methodology, dude, the leadership that will be attracted to your vision will just be so much better. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, like this is a game changer right here. For sure. No, I, yeah. I totally agree. And one thing I want to, want to, talk about as well as is keeping those high performers because quite often you have leadership that now that there are ceos owners founders that are like okay i attracted this person i'm good and you kind of take a back seat and it's like how you treat them usually your, your high performers are the first to leave because they know that they're really high performers they can go anywhere else and do any, anything they want to and so i think i think keeping really really good people is is hard for a lot of people out there yeah. I mean, it can be. Um, yeah. I, I think that honestly, the thing is, is like, it's communication, number one, right? And it's non-judgmental open communication. And so like with, with the leaders in my business, for example, you know, we have like a standing meeting once a month where we have, we pull up a document and it's like a feedback meeting. And the, the goal of this meeting is to just get everything out into the open and make it okay. Right. And I think a lot of times it's like, it, even if you don't have that process, the natural thing like in a, in a corporate world or like in a, in a business world is to like not express the things that are like interpersonal, but affecting job performance. And right. so it's like, 
and then it can be judged, right? And so it's like as a leader, when you come from a place of like complete non-judgment, whatever it is, it's okay, it can't be wrong. You start to like, your leaders feel enabled in a way to be like really expressive on what they need, what they want, what the roadblockers are in their business, what their objectives are. But even more than that and beyond that, they'll actually give you more feedback as a CEO. And right. it's an incredible way to actually grow your CEO ability because you're getting feedback from world's best talent. Right. And so, you know, key, I think keeping leaders comes down to really clear, transparent communication that is completely not judgmental. Right. And when, you know, when they know that you've got their back for sure, like I, you know, I have got your back, like, like for sure. And whatever it is, even if you say like, hey, I wanna leave and go work for a competitor, okay, it can't be wrong. Right. And when you take that standpoint, it's like people feel valued, people feel like welcomed, they feel at home. And those intangibles like are huge for retention of staff. Right. Um, and even more than that, like I think as a leader, it can be tempting to take on responsibility or, or just like go you know, bullheadedly like assign things. And so like if a leader, for example, in our business is like working on growth, you know, we, and, and, and maybe it's struggling or not working, like that is their responsibility. So right. it's not mine, I'm not gonna take it back. And so it's like that responsibility is squarely on them. And I think it's really easy as a leader to like start to absorb some of the responsibility back. Right. Try to solve the problem with them. It's like, no, this is, yeah. this is your responsibility. I trust how you're gonna solve this. Yeah. I challenge you to do your best work here. And, and I, this is like actually something that like I talk about with staff a lot. I go, you know, as a team, individually, some of the best work you ever create in your life will happen here. And so expect that from your peers and we expect that from you. Right. And, and I think from a cultural standpoint, it's actually incredible what that creates. For because sure. everyone is like, they, they perform their best, right? Right. And then everyone else is reinforcing that constantly. It's like, is this your best? Is this your best? It's like a good question to start asking. Right. And, and you'd be surprised how many people will, you know, fire uh, back a design or something. And then someone else from the team is like, is this your best? And they're like, no, let me actually go back to it. And within 30 right. minutes, they produce something that is so much better right. with that one little thing. Right. Um, but and yeah. That's, and that's not a rude way to say it. Is this your best? Is this your best? Yeah. And it's like, dude, like when you, I think like people really respond to an environment where they actually accomplish things they didn't think were possible, right? And so like, I love this. Like some of the people we were working with in the early days of Bill, like I remember, and I'll, I'll even say his name on this podcast because he'll, he'll love it, but John Melson is an incredible creative. And we started working with him really early. Like I found him just through like an Instagram IG DM. Really? And I was looking for a creative director, but like, you know, I kind of came through the DMs like, hey, we want to do a photo shoot and see how you can perform. And this guy is like, just has it in like 2016, had an amazing view of like what content would move online. And he knew how to execute and get it done. I love so it. So we ended up working with him. I'm like, dude, I think you should be the creative director here. And so, yeah, John Melson became the creative director in the early days of Built. And I think he was instrumental for like taking good product quality, like really steering the, you know, the vision of like what social was gonna become and all those things. But like, that was his problem. And, right. you know, just don't take that problem back. There's, it, it, it's, hard, it, it's hard for a lot of founders. Because they and a, lot, and a lot of people they try they try to do everything for everybody and it's like hey that's not how you create a, a, a real systemized business if, if everything if it's I call it like a, a system based business versus a superstar based business if everything's based off of you well you cap out somewhere yeah right? totally like the, it's it's based off like that and that's why you kind of you know I'm not going to shout out the Lakers again but shout out to the Lakers they built everything <laughs> around superstars well it caps out yeah. somewhere yeah right? it does but it you does. haven't you, you need to build the team on foundational principles and culture and so much more to that and then empowering your people to do their best work. Yeah. And yeah. Like I like when I do a lot of consulting, I literally rate people L1 through L5 and make it very very simple. Like L1 is more focused management, they shouldn't be there very long. Now it's very green person brand new. L5, you're their biggest cheerleader. 
Yeah. Dude, hey, what can I do for you? Hey, yeah. and like I have, it's uh, some people I get so intense that I have times. Okay. You're going to spend 15 minutes with the L1. Like every, every, like I have it like a planned out one minute with the L5. Stop taking up hours of his work. Just say your cheerleader. Stop trying to do stuff for, or, you know, just, yeah. Hey, how's it going? Good to see you. you need anything? Nope. Okay, good. Bye. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, proud of your work. Hey, thank you. Bye. Like, yeah, you don't need to sit there. Hey, well, did you do this? Did you do that? Like, unless they ask for feedback or be like, Hey, let's chat and like mass. I, I like the word, love the word mastermind. Hey, let's mastermind on this together. Yeah. Let's bring in multiple people and see what we can do to make it better. Yeah. High yeah. performers are like L fives are like, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. But it's then if you try to keep focus man or micromanage at that point, it's micromanagement that that time you like when a founder is micromanaging this person, it's like, stop micromanaging me. Like you're driving me nuts. Oh yeah. Yeah. High performers. If micromanage will leave. Yeah. And actually like I've seen this repeatedly, yeah. <laughs> like this is like a fact, like yeah. really high performers like want to create and right. they want to be challenged and they right. want to be like, you know, they want the resources around them to challenge things they didn't see before. Right. And it's very different than being like, do it this way. Right. Um, they want to take ownership of it. Yeah. It's like, like, hey, like I, all my department managers and directors, I'm like, act like you own it. Yeah. Like this is your thing. Yeah. Right? I always ask them if you owned it, would you spend that money? Well, I'm okay. Then what? like, or if you owned it, would you do that way? Yeah. Well, okay. Well, technically you own that department. You're Dude, the owner of it. It's huge, man. I, I just recently wrote a Q1 shareholder letter for Mindframe. And one of the things that like I love to do is really like give credit where credit's due and like an extra and like, just like just shovel credit out. Right. right. Like I think ego is actually like a really bad thing to have as a CEO. Like the higher the ego, like, the less you're likely to do this. Right. But in our in our quarterly shareholder letter, we were talking about, um, you know, I was talking about the head of operations that we have and just how amazing he's actually been at like building the company. It's actually, it's amazing to work with him. Right. And, uh, and I was talking about in the shareholder, I was like, okay, the leadership of our head of growth has resulted in this. And it's like, dude, these are the leaders. It's, that is their role. It's their job. And I, I really do think that like taking, yeah, taking responsibility back is probably the number one way to lose high quality right. people. Um, and then just like it's selection too. Cause like if you're, if you're bringing on a bunch of people, um, that aren't a fit for what your culture might look like and, or you don't actually like implement the culture you told them on the way in, right. then you're likely to lose those people, but they shouldn't really be held onto. Right. And so it's like really great leaders, like don't need a whole lot of holding onto. And if you have open, transparent communication, they might say, Hey, I need my comp package a little bit differently. Okay. Right. Well, it can't be wrong. So can we find a solution or do we need to find another leader? Right. Like it's, let's just figure it out. Right. Um, and I think that like that, that those, th they, those things paired together, like you shouldn't have to try really hard to hold on to your, like your leadership. And right. if, and if a leader wants to go, like there's probably a good reason. And so if their heart has left the building, their feet need to follow. Exactly. So it's like, Dude, right, I love see that. Ya. Boom. Mic drop on that one. Yeah. But it's true. Yeah. It's true. And like, you know, I always tell people like, if you really want to leave and you feel like it's you better your situation or something's different then how, how can I support that? Right. Like at the end of the day, like if you look at me and say, Hey, I, I got a better opportunity. It's better for me, whatever that is. How can I support that? Yeah. And it, oftentimes they're shocked. And then sometimes they're like, oh, actually, actually I really don't want to leave. And I'm like, okay, then what's the problem? Like, there's actually a problem here. Like, there's, there's a root of the problem of what's going on. And we just, we figured out. And it, like my, my partner always says like, win, win or no deal. Yeah. Dude, I love that. Like it, it's either a win, win or no deal. Win for you, win for me, or we can't do this. If it's yeah. a win for me and yeah. a lose for you, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Like if you, if you don't want to be here, I don't think you should want to be like, I don't think you should be here. Yeah. Like you gotta go. And like that's gotta fine. Go. Yeah. Like because like one, if you don't want to be here, then it's kind of a cancer to everybody else. Mm -hmm. And 
there's no way that we're going rolling up, you know, injecting ourselves with cancer. That's just not what we do. So I don't feel like we should do that to our businesses. Yeah. We'd let that in there. We owe it to everybody else to care more and not only care about revenue, even if they're high performer, got to get them out of there because yeah. then it teaches everybody like we're basing everything off of revenue. And if you, if you, if you do a lot of revenue, you can do whatever you want. We don't, we don't want that. Yeah. And so it, it's going down that path of just, uh, uh, but it's it, the, at the root of it, it's caring. Like you have to start caring about your people and care to want to know about them. Yeah. So or why they want to leave and Hey, do your thing. Yeah. I actually think that's like a hundred percent true. Like if you're, if your heart is not in your business in a way to like have a team perform, have a team to do their best work and create like, you know, wins around you that is like the people that work for you should be able to experience the biggest win of their life by, you know, adhering themselves to your vision. Right. And if, if that's not the case, like, you know, rethink how you're approaching your business in a way. Right. And actually we should talk about this too, because like in, earlier in my career, I looked at capital as a constraint. And so the reason why I bring this up is because if I had heard me on this pod talking, I would be like, oh, well, I got to hire all those leaders. Like how much capital is that? I have like $10,000 in my bank account. Right. And so the thing that changed for me over the history of my career is that I really learned that the truth about capital is capital is never the constraint. Right. It's always the vision and the mission of the company and right. like what you're building as a product, right? And so if you look at those, capital is really attracted to returns. And so if, you, if you're going to build a great company, you can find capital everywhere. There's like right. more dry powder in VC than oh, ever it's before. It's insane right now. It's insane. Trillions. It, it's insane. Like it's crazy. Yes. And so it's like, you know, capital is not the constraint. And so if anyone is like out there listening and they're like thinking of like, how do I do this for my business? It's like, release yourself from the idea that capital is a constraint and move into a place of like having a vision for your company, having a clear roadmap to a certain valuation and really think methodically through like, what are, what is that path going to look like? What are the different milestones? And what kind of investment partners do we need so that we can go hire those people? Right. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with approaching entrepreneurship in a way where like, you know, I'm a superstar and I'm going to go, I'm going to superstar it out. Right. And that will, you know, you can, you can get to five, 10 million bucks if you're a real superstar right. annually in your business. And like, that's a cool outcome. Yeah. Um, and I think for that entrepreneur, like assigning leadership is, it looks a little different. Right. right. And so it's like, I think there's two different ways to build a business and neither of them is wrong. It right. kind of comes down to like what your objective is situation. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. Yeah. And like, here's another thing that like, isn't even on the table that we're not even talking about, but like there is a lot of value in owning a business where you're a superstar and there's no one else. Right. Like those businesses exist where you yeah. can print, you know, maybe like, maybe you print like 800 K net profit a year on a business that's like run by you and like a couple uh, freelancers. Like there's right. nothing wrong with that. Like that's right. like a great outcome. For sure. So, so not a like, lot of headaches. <laughs> not a lot of headaches, man. Like, Live a good life. Right. It's yeah. like, it comes down to like what you want and then where does that back out and what kind of leadership team do you need to build for what you want? And so like for what I'm talking about, you know, we're building a billion dollar business. And so that, that valuation of a billion dollars takes this type of business like being right. built. Right. But like, you know, in other companies that I've started, like they didn't need this style of right. love leadership. But like, you know, as I've been an entrepreneur, my goals have really grown. Right. And it's like, you know, you, you hit the first milestones, like, oh wow, we did our first, you know, back in my twenties, it's like, oh, we did our first million. Oh my gosh, we did our first like 5 million. And you know, oh wow, now we're like really scaling things up and up and up and up. And, and so now it's like from a valuation standpoint, um, you know, a billion dollar company is like not that hard to build. It's just a different system. It's a, right. it's a different architect. Like, uh, I guess you could say like operating system early. For sure. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. Dude, we're, we're, uh, we're coming up. I, th I think I'm over your time. 
Oh, dude. Well, this was an epic yeah, conversation. No, I, right? I, I, <laughs> it went by so fast, man. I appreciate it. Dude, it really you. did, man. It's it, an it, epic pod. It really, really means a lot that you're on this, man. I've been, been like, ever since we, we got connected, I've been really excited about this and just kind of like, you know, our, our uh, kind of friendship rolling out and meeting your buddy and, and everybody like just super cool group of, group of friends you got. Yeah, so dude, you did I some awesome things. I appreciate it, man. I really appreciate you having me on. I think that this is like a, an exceptional pod. You're an awesome guy. Well, thank you. He's going to chop it up. Yeah, for sure. Um, one, uh, I know you got Instagram, Grant wins or what, what's your Instagram handle? Uh, yeah. So Instagram, um, people can find me in my business. Uh, they can go to Grant, they can go on Instagram. It's Grant underscore wins and it's W I N N S. And honestly, if you just Google Grant wins W I N N S, you'll find me, you can find me yeah. on LinkedIn. You get a DM me on Instagram. Like anyway, if anyone wants to get a hold of me, like just shoot a message and I get back to, uh, as many as I can. Okay. I love that. Well, last thing I want to ask you is my last question I ask everybody is what does success mean to you? Oh man, what a great question. Um, well success to me now means that I, okay. So you want to hear a quick story? Yeah. Okay. So I, I was two years into that like venture investment experience. Right. And I had sort of uprooted my life and I was really moving around. And at the end of the two years, I really felt unsure about what I wanted in the future. And so I, this is obviously in the past. Right. Um, and I wrote this letter from my 90 year old self. I got really into this and I like pretended I was 90 and I wrote this letter backwards to myself today at 30. Wow. And, and it was, it was amazing. I just kind of poured out this letter and from it, I took these key statements that were success to me. And so today I have like four basically principles of success. And number one is that the, I have a company that is operating in the world that causes a measurable like shift in, in good for the, for the community that it serves. Right. And it's growing monthly. Like we're creating positive, we're, we're creating a positive movement in the world. And whatever that business is, is, is growing from a shareholder basis, from an employee value, it's growing quarter over quarter. Um, right. That's like success number one. Success number two is that I live life with a sense of zest and vitality. Like life should be fun. Like all that. this shit is fun, man. For sure. <laughs> and so like, you know, living life with a sense of vitality um, and just having a, you know, a joyous time doing it. Heck and yeah. then, you know, number three um, is that whatever you are working on, um, it's really, truly, it's like, it's building a community about what you believe, right? Right. Like you are, you are at work on what is truly within you and you're creating a shift in the world, right? It kind of comes back to that first one a bit, but you're building a tribe of people. That's right. my third. And then fourth is you leave a legacy. I love so it. like after you die, you've got tangible works in your life that will, you know, exist to help community, like to help, uh, humanity into the future after you're gone. I love that, man. Yeah. Dude, that, that's epic. Yeah. Grant, thank you so much for being on the show. It means a lot. Thanks, man. Hey, thank you. Here. Hey, if you like this episode, please share it. Please go follow Grant because he's the most amazing human being I have ever met. Um, if you find this useful, leave a good review and yeah, keep sharing this all over the world. Thank you.